for younger people. And I've heard in recent days as, as, as wiser men and women who, who went through times of upheaval and crisis in our land, who lived through the civil rights movement, who lived through the Vietnam War and other things in our land and how they protested and how they made themselves known in a very different way and how the words and the leadership of men like Martin Luther King Jr. seem to be lacking today, that, that the leaders today aren't there. We have to go back 40 and 50 years to find quotes and guidance to direct us, and I look at a generation that's coming up, and, and, and I look at the message this morning, and the only thing I can say is very clearly, and what I've feared for years, and what I've preached for years, is that somehow in the church of Jesus Christ, we are losing the right vision. A vision that we have to cast for our children so that they rise up and do a better job of glorifying God and, and making a difference in this world than we've ever thought about doing. Amen. So my challenge is to the next generation to get the vision that God wants you to have. And I will say unapologetically that any other vision is not only going to fall radically short and woefully inadequate, but it's dangerously deadly if we do not see things the way that God wants us to see things. So the first thing I want us to consider this morning is that we have a very serious crisis pictured in the verse, Proverbs 29, 18. Look at it with me. It's very simple. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. Now, we're not going to look at the second part of that. It's going to be covered enough in the first part. We're just focusing on the first half of verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And so what we're talking about is a very serious crisis. And in this passage, it's the absence of vision. Where there is no vision. First of all, you have the concept of vision. The word that's used there for vision, that says the word vision there, in the Hebrew, it's the word chazon or chazon. Okay? And it's the word that is used to speak of prophecy, of dreams, of insight, but it is always used in, in, in these different forms, but it is always used to refer specifically to a spiritual vision. It's important that we understand when we read this verse that the, that, the, that the writer of this proverb, that God who inspired the Holy Scripture, isn't saying where there's no vision, just a simple vision, no business vision, no economic vision. No, he's talking about a specific vision. He's saying where there is no spiritual vision, the people perish. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, and this is a little bit of a paraphrase, and we're studying Colossians on Wednesday night, so we'll get to this. Paul writes to the Colossians, and he says, I pray that you will see things from God's point of view. That's a powerful prayer and challenge, amen? Are we looking at what's happening in the world and the nation right now from God's point of view? See, a lot of people have different answers for what's happening, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you very simply. I can tell you exactly why we're dealing with what we're dealing in the world today. I can put it in one word. It's the word sin. 
The very thing, the very concept that so many people want to deny exists in this world is more present and prevalent than it's ever been, and it should be more obvious than it's ever been, and yet you still have people who live in this world and are convinced that there is no God, that we don't need salvation, that there's no such thing as sin. It's just confused people making bad choices. No, beloved, the Word of God says it is people who are dead before God making deadly choices in their flesh because they don't know the beauty and the wonder of a life that is lived for God. They do not have a vision of living for the glory of God. Where there is no vision, that is a powerful concept. It is a serious crisis with a concept and a condition that we need to address today. Dawson Trotman, Dawson Trotman the great disciple maker, said, Vision is getting on my heart what God has on his heart. If we were to say, and I heard a preacher say this one time, if, if our prayers for the past 12 months were fully answered, would the world be any different than it is right now? That's powerful. The condition of no vision. Proper vision requires proper lenses, proper hearing, or the proper filters. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, and verse 1, Numbers 13, and, and we'll do Numbers 13. When, 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 when Moses first sent spies into the land, you know the story there. He sent 12 men. And, and those 12 men went into the land, and when they came back, 10 of the spies said, they're too big. They're giants in the land. We can't take them. Only two of the spies said, God said, go take them. We need to go take them. And you know Joshua and Caleb were those two men. And, 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 and because they, they went into the land and saw that, and God in his anger said to them, then you will not take the land. The next generation will take the land. So when Joshua became the ruler or the leader, if, it will, if you will, of the, of the people, when Joshua did, he didn't send 12. He sent two. And he sent them in with a mission. He said, you're not going in to tell us whether or not we can take the land. You're just going to come back and tell me what it looks like so that we're going to go take the land and know what we're up against when we do it. Amen. But here's the power of that passage. Those ten men came back and they said that, that they are giants and we are like grasshoppers to them. They'll crush us. We can't take the land. When they did go in, 40 years later, when they went into the land, they, they went in and they took the land and the people of the land, when, when the two spies went in, Rahab said, and she knew they were coming, she said, where have you guys been? We heard about how you came out of Egypt. We heard the stories, and we knew. And then they said, these Israelites have finally come. We've been waiting for 40 years, and this is what they said. We heard that the people of God were coming, and we knew that we were grasshoppers to you. Forty years they wandered and lived without the promise because they saw themselves through their own eyes and the eyes of their enemy rather than through the eyes of God. And the people who were those, the enemies of God, saw themselves the way that they needed themselves through God. And they knew that when, you, when, when God is on the move, you can't stand against God. Amen. Vision is so important. And so many times we look at our lives. I wonder how many graduates, I wonder how many people, I wonder how many of our young people today are graduating from school. They have no vision, no direction, no idea where their future is, no concept of how great their life can be, especially when that life is fully committed to God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We need a vision. We need a vision. It is so serious. We need a vision of a generation that will, be, that will rise up and see everything from God's point of view. I heard a, I do have this written down. The lady once asked a preacher when he preached a message like this, and she went up to him afterwards, and she said, is God really interested in the little things in our lives? And he said, ma'am, do you really think anything in your life is that big to God? (laughs) The reality is, beloved, we, we think that God doesn't care about this or he cares about this. No, he cares about everything. He sees everything. And there's no part of your life and mine that should not be brought under his control and his direction because the moment that happens, then you don't have peaceful protest. You have riots. You have anger. You have hatred. You have division. It is Christ who came to save. It is Christ, the Bible says, in Colossians. This is amazing that we started this study a few weeks ago with no idea of what would be happening in our nation. And it's in Colossians where the Bible tells us that Jesus came to make out of all people, Jew, Gentile, white and black, one family, one brotherhood, one church united in faith in Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that is the cure for racism. Amen. And so the churches today that are still living with a vision that doesn't fit scripture, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm being nice, amen. I'm trying to choose my words. I don't want to speak. I want God to speak. But the reality is there are still churches in this country that have convinced themselves that if God has his way, you'd have a black church and a white church. And I read my Bible, and God says there's only one church, and there will be no segregation in heaven. So why do we tolerate it in our churches on earth? Why do we continue to look and see only the color of a man's skin rather than praying for and looking deep into the condition of that man's heart? That is how serious vision is. There was a man by the name of Lowell, and he was one of the first scientists to study Mars. And he would look at Mars through a telescope, and he studied it for years. He was staring. He, he worked on his telescope, and he defined a particular type of telescope and, so that he could get a better view of Mars. And he studied it, he looked at it, and once he got the picture clear enough, he began to draw a map of Mars where he could see through the telescope. Well, as he began to study Mars and began to notice that there were these particular lines on Mars that looked like canals, and so as he's drawing, out Mar- he's drawing Mars and drawing these pictures and showing people what it looks like, he, he sees these. And so he came to the conclusion that there were canals on Mars that had to have been made by some other form of life. Well, others looked through the telescope and they looked at Mars and they saw no canals. They saw nothing repeatedly. And and they said, something is wrong. And then somebody finally clued in and and said, there's got to be a problem with with Lowell. Something's going on with you. And he went to the doctor and he found out that because he had spent so much time straining his eyes, looking through microscopes and telescopes, that the blood vessels in his eyes had ruptured. So that when he looked through the telescope and forced his eyes, those blood vessels came to the surface. And what he was seeing and saying were canals on Mars were actually the blood vessels in his own eyes. His vision had become corrupted. And because it had become corrupted, 
he came to a very wrong conclusion that there were canals on Mars. You see, this is a serious crisis. No vision. Where there is no vision. But then there's a serious consequence. Where there is no vision, what? The people perish. And that word, perish, is the Hebrew word para. And it is as rich and loaded as the word kazan. I forgot it. Kazan. Kazan. Kazan and para. Vision and perish are two of the strongest, most amazing Hebrew words. Because vision, as we've already said, refers specifically to prophecy, spiritual vision, preaching of the word. This word perish, is, it, it means to reject counsel. To be unruly and unbridled. To dissolve, to cast off, to lose restraint. And then this is the one that always gets me, to go naked. And not only to go naked, but to go naked and not even know it. Like the emperor's new clothes. The old parable, the old story we, we learned as kids in school about how the charlatans came into town and sold the emperor on the idea that they could fashion uh, a suit of clothes that was made with the finest spun fabric, so elegant and so costly and so divine that only the most noble and intelligent of people could see it. And the emperor refusing to admit that he couldn't see it, rather than embrace the fact that maybe he was being uh, uh, tricked or hoodwinked. He commissioned them and gave them a great deal of money to fashion the clothes so that when they presented it to him, and, and, and he stood there holding up nothing, and they said, do you see it? And he again in his vanity said, oh yes, I see it. And so he put it on, and he walked out into the streets, and all of the people, afraid to say anything to the emperor who's walking, and in one story in his underwear and another story naked through the streets, convinced that he's wearing this fine suit of clothes until as he walks to one certain point, one innocent little boy begins laughing and pointing and shouting, Look, the emperor is naked! And finally in the story it breaks down and, and we realize that what has happened and, and in the world today, we have let the world tell us that there's an idea, there's a concept that only the wisest and smartest can see it. And those wise and smart concepts don't come from the Word of God. And so you have a people who walk through the world today absolutely naked and don't know it or don't want to admit it. Where there is no vision, the people perish. There are three things implied in this word. Number one, there is a moral effect. The word perish means, as we've already said, to lose restraint. It means to bring anarchy. That's the word perish. It's used to lose restraint and to fall into anarchy. People today casting off restraints because of a lack of vision. There's a moral effect. I can do whatever I want. I don't, have to, I don't have to obey the law. I don't have to obey the word of God. I don't have to obey police officers. I don't have to obey the governor. I don't have to follow order. I don't have to do what the law demands. I can act the way I want to irregardless of how it affects anybody around me. There's a moral effect. And, 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 and the person without a biblical vision will begin to live their life saying, I can do whatever I want to do. Whatever suits me morally. I'll give you an example. Many, many years ago, <coughs> you know from the news, 
you remember this story. It's been 20, 30 years ago now. And the incident with Jimmy Swaggart. Great televangelist, had a great ministry. He and I disagreed on a lot of things, but on a lot of things we agreed. And then you know how him, and not just him, but several others through the years, but him particularly, we, we want to talk about this morning for one reason that I'm going to share, fell in with a prostitute, and it cost him his ministry. And if you'll remember that when he was placed under spiritual discipline by his denomination and by his church, one of the things they told him was, you need to stay out of the pulpit, and we need to go through a time of healing. But even, even Dr. Swaggart couldn't do that. He couldn't bring himself and his pride to do that. And, but here's the thing. They interviewed the prostitute. And this is what she said. It was wrong for Mr. Swaggart to do what he did. And they asked her, what was wrong? Well, what about for you? Was, was it wrong for you? She said, oh, no, no. It's not wrong for me. She felt she did not have the same moral obligation to God as someone in a more visible and spiritual position of authority. Now, to be fair, there was a greater weight of responsibility on the one who claimed to know the word of God to stay away from that situation. But, beloved, the reality is sin is sin. We do not get to define morality. It is either right or it is either wrong, and that is determined by the word of God, not the will of man. There's a moral effect. Number two, there's a social effect. The word perish means not only to lose restraint, to cast off, but it means to disintegrate. To disintegrate, to fall apart. People begin to disintegrate when there's no vision. Sin has a centrifugal force driving men outward from the true center of life, which is God himself. And it also drives men from each other. Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. Jesus is the cementing influence and the integrating center of man. The further we get away from Christ, the further we get away from each other. The further we get away from God, the more humanity will be divided, not united. And when we do unite, we will unite around the wrong things. We will, we, we will, we will unite around every form of idea and politics and, and, and sociology that promotes the, the glory of man, but not the glory of God. But ultimately, man's glory will fail. And ultimately, when you press a man into a corner... That social effect is such that you will always see someone rise to the surface who says they are too bad for me or I am too good for them. They aren't the right race. They don't speak the right language. They don't wear the right clothes. They don't fill in the blank. It's a social effect. And I want you to think about it this way. When you were younger, and I'm, I don't think they have these anymore, do you remember that device on the playground it was a giant wheel it had bars on it and y'all I don't know what the name for it is I don't want to know the name for it but you remember that thing right and the kids would get on and in between two of the bars they would hold on the bar and get however many you wanted on there sometimes when it depends on it and then one kid would start spinning that thing right and he would spin that thing Spin that thing. He would spin it as fast as he could and the goal was two things I think number one to see who can hang on and you know, the faster that thing spun, the harder it was. And you see kids, and they're hanging on, and they're just, oh, and stop it, stop it, stop it. Because after a while, you couldn't hang on, and every now and then, the kid went flying off. Not sure how that would work in today's society. I'm not sure that's, I don't even know that's even legal anymore. 
I'm willing to bet somebody's got one of those somewhere. You go to the right playground, you'll still find one. But the further you were to the outside of that thing, you didn't have to spin it very fast before that centrifugal force starts pulling you off. You know what the smart kids did? You know what kids like me did? We moved into the middle. We moved as close to the... Now, the people that designed the ring, the ring wasn't solid. There was a hole in the middle, right? So you couldn't get all the way in the middle. You had to, but you get as close as you could to the middle. And while they're spinning that thing, the kids on the outside are going, oh, I'm going to throw up, oh, and they're falling off, and you're holding on the middle, and you're just, uh, you're just trying not to get nauseous because you know you're, not, you're, you're, you're in the middle. It's not as much force the closer you are to the center. Amen? The further you get away, the harder it is to hold on. Now, you know where I'm going with this. This is the center of our life. The word of God, which teaches us about who God is and who Jesus is. And the closer we are to the center of truth, dead center of truth, it doesn't matter how crazy and chaotic and out of control this world spins, you and I will not have to hold on. We'll be standing in the middle. In fact, if you can stand in the middle of that, you can stand there and watch everybody spinning around. It wouldn't affect you at all because you're, you're in the middle. You're not even on the wheel. Amen? But the truth is, even if there were a middle and you could stand in the middle, then you could actually sit there and you could hold on a lot longer no matter how hard the world pulled, no matter how fast that thing spun. And beloved, the closer we are to Jesus, the easier it is to stand strong in a world that's out of control. There's a social effect. And it's driving us away from each other. And you've got people in the world right now, you've got people in our country right now, and they are spinning that wheel. There is no God. There is no God. Take him out of schools. Take him out of schools. Take prayer out. Take the Bible out. Stop having church. Ouch. Spinning that wheel. Oh, this country would be so much better if we just didn't have the church. No, beloved, if this country didn't have the church, we would have completely disintegrated a long time ago. There's a moral effect. There's a social effect. But there's a spiritual effect. These statistics have changed. I try to keep them updated. I, I don't even try anymore because they're overwhelming. Some 55,000, 50,000, 60,000 people die every day <clears throat> who've never even heard the name of Jesus. There are still countries on this, in this world, like Pakistan, where the Christian population is less than one-tenth of one percent. There are places in this world where you can go, and if you go in to share the gospel and plant a church, they will, if given the opportunity, just as soon kill you as listen to you. The further you get away from the word of God, the longer a nation goes convincing itself that what it believes is right outside the word of God, then the stronger that grip becomes and the closer those individuals come to a Christless eternity separated from God. As long as we convince ourselves that there's something more we need in the country than men who will stand behind the pulpit and preach the word of God with power and authority, as long as we convince ourselves that we need an entertainer, that we need programs, we need gimmicks, we need lighting, we need whatever the accoutrements are to have church, that we need someone who's charismatic, we need something other than a man who through all of his faults and failures will just preach the word of God, then we are falling dangerously dangerously further to the edge of a spinning wheel that we won't be able to hold on to. That's why my biggest prayer for this church is that the man the search committee finds 
will stand behind this pulpit and challenge you and scare the socks off of you with what God can do in this church and in this community and to the ends of the earth. A little boy bought a, a, a glow-in-the-dark nightlight. And he, this is going to be great. So I'm, I'm going to use this tonight. I'll put it in my room. It'll be nice. So nighttime comes. He's so excited. He takes it out of the box. He puts it on the shelf. He turns off the lights. Nothing. It's defective. Doesn't understand. Turns it on, looks at it, turns it off. Turn, you know, turns off the light. Oh, it's glowing just a little bit. Oh, okay. And then quickly the light faded. Turned the light on again, looked at it, began looking at it, looking at the box. I don't understand what's wrong. It's supposed to go on. And he looked at it, thought a few minutes longer, a little bit longer, finally said, okay, turned off the light. It was glowing just a little bit brighter. But eventually the light died out again. Finally, he turned the light on. He began looking, looked through the box. And in the box, he found a little piece of paper with some instructions on it. And this is what it said. If you would have me shine in the night, you must keep me constantly in the light. And so he set that thing on the windowsill. And when he went to bed that night and turned off his lights, it shined all the way till he fell asleep. Beloved, if we're going to shine in the night, and make no mistake about it, it's getting dark. We have got to stay close to the light. Jesus encountered a group of demons, and this is what they said. My name is Legion, for we are many. And if you know anything about a legion, if you know anything about that, a legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. And when that legion marched, they marched in perfect unison. I've seen pictures of this in my lifetime. I'll never forget, it was the 4th of July weekend. We were all mad about it. Fort Lewis, Washington. It was 4th of July. Uh, we, it was the 4th of July. And the general got the bright idea that instead of giving everybody off the 4th of July, we were going to have a mass assembly and prayed. And I think some dignitaries were coming in from Washington. And so we did not get to celebrate the 4th of July like we normally do with barbecues. And, no, we had to put on our uniform. And every company and every battalion... And we lined up on this field at Fort Lewis, Washington. And we'd never done it like this before. We'd done it in small increments. Our battalion did it. This company did it. Few, few. But now it was every battalion. It was the whole fort, every battalion, everyone. And when we lined up across that, I don't even remember how big it was, but I remember I was the guide-on bearer. I got to carry the guide-on. I got to stand there with the flag. And I stood out front, and my captain of my unit of Charlie Company stood up there in front of me, and the first sergeant stood beside him. And I stood behind them, and my fellow soldiers were behind me and as I glanced to my left and my right I saw all the other guide on bearers and all the other soldiers behind us and one of the single greatest moments of my life I remember the general and I forgot his name but I remember him standing from the review box up front and he said battalions and then the battalion commander said battalions and then the company commander said company and then you heard the general say, forward and forward, forward. And then in only one command from the general alone, march. And in unison, thousands of us started. Man, and we pulled up that guide on. And, we, and to this, I get goosebumps thinking about it. That whole fort watched. And we marched forward. And then you heard, and then you heard battalions, battalions, halt. And we all, boom, boom, boom. And the guide ons came down. 
And there we and, and 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 when we did that, all the people in the stands, all the family members, I didn't have family at the time, it was just me, but all the family members, all the dignitaries, and there was just a stand of people who had assembled to see this on this fourth of July. When we started marching forward. I mean the cheers and the shouting and, and we marched forward and we stopped and we and we were finished. They were all standing and clapping and cheering. And I'll never forget, they went through the thing, and then when they said, and the general said, Battalion commanders, take charge of your battalions. And they all saluted, spun around, and you could hear the different battalion commanders. Captains, take charge of your commanders, take charge of your companies. Company, captains, take charge of your platoons. And, and the orders were given. And then the top, and the captain turned around and said to top, it was the first sergeant, we call him top, said top, dismiss the troops. They saluted, he spun around, and he said, Company, dismiss. And all about the same time, you could hear, and every one of us, we all, man, we, yeah, we threw our hats in the air, we were cheering. It was, and when he said dismiss, the thousands of us all scattered in a thousand different directions. This idea here, beloved, of a legion marching as one, marching in unison, here pictured by the demons and the way they are united with one goal, and that goal is to do everything they can to destroy the life of a child of God in the church of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus tells them to scatter, they got to go. And we ought to be the ones who for the rest of our lives march in unison to the commands of our Savior Jesus Christ until the day when he returns. Hallelujah. The day when he returns and when Jesus comes back, he's going to look down and he's effectively going to look down at the church of Jesus Christ and he's going to say, dismissed. <laughs> and we're going to be caught up together with him to meet him in the air. And forever, the Bible says, we will be with the Lord. But until that day, we have to have a vision of marching and serving for Christ that the world cannot ever shake. Now I'm going to close with this this morning. If I were to name these names, which I'm not even sure I can, If I were to say the name of J. Alexander Cum, if I were to say the name of, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing him right, Talthai Thomas Lane, maybe you'll recognize this one, Derek Chauvin. We all know the name George Floyd. And if everything I've read about him is true, for the good and the bad in his life, George Floyd is in the presence of Jesus today. But there are four men who are bearing the wrath of a nation right now. And do you know that they are men for whom Jesus died? And not just them, but everyone else who in a moment without vision makes a choice, takes an act that they will bear for the rest of their lives. 
what is the response of the church? It cannot be to take to the streets. It cannot be to riot. It can be to protest rightly. Amen. Christians should speak out for righteousness and justice because we know what righteousness and justice is. But the Bible says we must also pray for all men, and that includes the men right now who are facing the wrath of a nation. And worse than that, the wrath of God. And whatever happens and however this plays out, the voice of the church must be a voice that says, you make a path, you follow that path, you make choices, and you deal with the consequences of those choices. But whatever those choices are and wherever it leads you, there is still a God who loves all of us. There is still a Savior who died for every man. And there is still a need in this world for men and women to fall on their faces before God and repent and believe that only Jesus can save and heal. This just came to me, so I'll give you this quickly. If you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, powerful movie. There's the, and, and both of them, even the remake is good. But my favorite scene, there's a couple of them, but my favorite scene by far in the movie is at the end of the movie. Where Charlton Heston, Ben-Hur, after having lived his whole life angry at the Romans, angry at the men who enslaved him, angry at those who betrayed him, angry at the, all that he had gone through. And he had, throughout the movie, has these encounters with Christ. And there's a scene where he's at the cross. And he hears Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He hears Jesus say it is finished. And he's there when the ground shakes. And and then later on, as he's there with his family and with others, he says, I felt his words take the sword out of my hand. And right now, beloved, we are in a nation of people who need to hear God and let him take the sword out of their hands. And not just that day, but every day. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me this morning?